Let's, uh, let's stand on our feet. I'm going to read the scripture for us, and we're just going to honor the word of the Lord. This is Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 3. I'll give you maybe 10 seconds if you want to open your Bible and read along with me or your phone, your Bible app. Philippians is in the New Testament. So if you see the book of Psalms, turn right and go a long way in that direction. It says Philippians 2 verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, we thank you for your presence in this place. And we would ask that, Holy Spirit, you would come and you would reveal Jesus to us in this house tonight. Lord, that these would not just be words on a page, but you would come and breathe the living humility, God, the picture, the the presence of this humble heart of this man, Jesus. Lord, that we would become captivated by the beauty of Jesus' heart tonight, Holy Spirit that you would come with the weight of your presence and descend upon us and wreck us with a revelation of how glorious and beautiful the heart of this man Jesus is. Lord, may our eyes become captivated anew with the majesty of this man, Christ Jesus. We honor you, Lord, and we come and humble ourselves to learn, to learn from the words of your very mouth, Lord. May they spill forth from heaven into this place, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We've been talking about paradox and the power of paradox. And uh, we've, we've chosen to define ourselves as a local church through these paradoxical value statements that invite us into somewhat of a wrestling match with God. And it's not a wrestling for the sake of wrestling, but it's a wrestling for the sake of revelation. Because what we want is a revelation of a person named Jesus. We don't want to just lay out some principles. Uh, Everybody has principles. And principles can get really dry and religious and stagnant. Paradox is much more lively because you can't quite comprehend it. You just have to submit to it and let it work on you and bring you to a revelation of the holy, which is what every heart is yearning for. 
And last week I opened up this paradox of power and dependence. And I'm just going to read it and then we're going to jump in tonight. And this is what I read last week and I'll read it again. Our, Our faith is meant to rest upon power and not words alone. Jesus' resurrection is not a history lesson, but a living testimony that our lives are designed to proclaim and invite the world into. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives inside of us. Our God is a God of miracles. Signs accompany the lives of those who believe what the Bible proclaims. God wills that kingdom fruitfulness flows through our lives. This dynamic expression exudes through weak and humble vessels. Fruitfulness only flows through branches that abide in and depend upon the vine. Dependence on God demands the emptying of self, the eradication of pride and independence, the crucifixion of the flesh. The goal of life is to become perfect worshipers of God, all for the glory of his name. He alone is our good. Help us, Holy Spirit. Help us, Holy Spirit. I'm going to start with this, and and I have a sense this may be prophetic for a number of people in here, but I just, I couldn't shake this, and I've had this image in my mind really for a a number of months of of something, a picture that for me captures the, 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 the depth of what we speak of when we say dependence upon God, that that we are to depend, to actually lean upon in such a way that if, if he were to step back, we would fall. And I've been gripped with this image that captures the dependence of Jesus because if we're going to have a model for something, I want to see it in Jesus. And I read this verse in Philippians 2, 4, that, that Jesus humbled himself to obedience even to the point of death. Matthew 27 then says that... that Uh, or sorry, Luke 23, uh, it tells us this interesting fact of the crucifixion, that it says that while Jesus was uh, actually trying to carry his cross up to Golgotha, they actually had to ask a man named Simon to help him carry his cross. And if any of you have ever watched The Passion of the Christ, there's quite an interplay between Jesus and this man, Simon. But as I, I, watch, I try to watch that movie every year around Easter because I think it's good to keep the, the crucifixion fresh in our minds because it's inviting us into reality. But, but this is, I'm just going to read this paragraph that I wrote that I think captures this, this dependence, uh, this interesting fact of Simon. It says, dependence upon God is a spiritual reality that translates into the physical and relational realm. Jesus' fortitude of trust was so supreme in the Father, he vulnerably yielded himself to human hands. At first, they were loving hands, the hands of his mother that nurtured and cared for him in his infancy. But later, Jesus even yielded to hurting hands, hands of Roman soldiers who would whip, beat, and scourge him into a bloody pulp that barely resembled a human being. Though chastised, chastised, the fortitude of his trust would not be shaken. He trusted in the Father's will, even if it meant suffering. 
Jesus' earthly destiny was a cross, but he became so weak, he needed help to be crucified. He could not carry his own cross. Oh, how precious the weakness of the lamb that needed to be carried to the altar. If Jesus needed help, so do we. His reliance upon the Father and people reveals to us what dependence looks like. The dependence of Jesus is radically confrontational to the gospel of the Western world, which has preached to us a message of high performance and productivity, achievement, aptitude. You want to be efficient, powerful. And Henry Nouwen, 20 or 30 years ago, uh, he, he wrote about the Christian leader that the coming millennia would need. And he quotes a man who wrote a novel about the teenage sons and daughters of the rich and famous in Los Angeles. And it's this really graphic description of the life of sex and drugs and money and, and everything that these teenage kids that had the world were just living. And the whole novel was a commentary on the vanity of the lives that they had inherited, though uh, at the same time, they seemingly were living the Western dream. And he says, at the crux of this novel, you hear the cry coming from the hearts of these teenagers that, does anybody love me? Does anybody want to stay home for me? Does anybody think I'm special when I don't feel okay and I just want to cry and I want to crumple to the ground into a ball? Like, is anybody there? Does anybody see me behind the glitz and the glam of this product? and achievement and success-driven culture. And Henry Nouwen, he, he wrote this, and it's, it's stuck with me. I read this years ago. It's always stuck with me. And he said, the, the Christian minister that the Western world needs is someone with the courage to embrace their own insignificance so that they can stand in solidarity with a culture that, if they're honest with themselves, all feel deeply insecure and insignificant because it's there that you'll find Jesus and that Jesus will hold you and embrace you and love you and give you what all achievement and status and power and wealth and dominance and everything that culture preaches, he can give it to us freely without having to chase a, a hamster around a wheel. And I wasn't even planning on sharing this tonight, but I just, I just have a sense that the father heart of God is here in solidarity for some of us in this room. And I just, I don't even, I don't even, I just want us to close our eyes for a minute. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna expose or have anybody stand, but I just, I felt the pain of the Father for, uh, specifically that there's, there's some young women here that you struggle with severe um, self-hatred for your body and, and even potentially some eating disorders and, and that there's, and it's, it's not just women, but there's even some men that I feel like there's a lot of just some body image and highly, highly critical and that there's others. It's almost, uh, I think it has something to do with shame around your, uh, your occupation. 
and, and just the pain, the, the, the backside of a high-achieving culture that you've lived with this finger pointing in your, your face that says you're just not enough. Like you're so not enough. And if that's you, I don't, I don't want you to do it. You don't need to do anything out loud. I just want you to open your heart to the Father. And I just pray right now, Father, that you will bring solidarity and comfort to these places of pain, to the cry, to the cry of, am I worthy of love? That you would wrap your arms right now and that you would touch, you would heal, you would restore. It's okay if we're a mess. It's okay if we don't feel like we're anything special. Lord, that you would break through the facade of shame and performance and that your rays of love would shine like a morning dawn to souls that have been living in darkness. Lord, release your love. Let the sunrise from on high dawn right now in the inner chambers of hearts. Yeah, you're loved. You're loved. You're loved. Someone, you just, it just, I just, you just need to know that tonight. You're loved. You're not what you have done. And you are not what has happened to you. Only love has the power to define you. And you are loved. So God, let that love break in tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you with me? Holy Spirit, we just say keep coming. So God is powerful, as I wrote about, and we are to receive and release his power into the earth. If you were here last week, we talked about this, that the flow of power, it's an incarnational assignment from the Lord that his power comes to us by the spirit. It is meant to do an incarnational work within us and then be released through us to bring transformation to our planet. God is in heaven. We are on earth. He makes his power known to us so that we can be his priestly ambassadors to a planet living under the yoke of darkness and bring a release that brings transformation to the earth. Encountering the living God is not a spectator sport, amen. You behold the living one and you're consumed and you're transformed. But this power is made known to vessels of weakness. Paul famously says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that as he was pleading with the Lord to take this, this thorn in his side, this thing that was producing a weakness in him, God said, my power is perfected in in what? In weakness. What? My power is made perfect in weakness. This is perhaps the biggest distinguishment between the power of the world and the power of God. Is that earthly power makes people 
powerful, but God perfects power in weakness. Years ago, probably a decade ago, I was laying in bed, I was drifting into sleep, I was in that twilight zone, and I heard the voice of the Lord, like, I would almost say audibly, and he said, Jordan, you're on a progressive journey into your weakness and my power. And as he said it, it was like a revelation hit me that I'd read this verse many times, that power is perfected in weakness. And I kind of thought it like this, you know, I'm going to have a season of weakness in my life and then God's going to be powerful toward me and I'll feel really powerful. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, man, that was a rough three months. Now I'm out of it. That's behind me and I'm powerful now. And as the Lord spoke that to me, it was something awakened. It was like, oh no. You mean I got to just keep going deeper into weakness? But that's what Paul's saying. That's what the scriptures are revealing. That's what the dependence of Jesus prophesies back to us, is that God's power flows through vessels of weakness, through people who have the courage to embrace their own weakness, their own humanity. I went to school in Southern California right on the cliffs and I would spend time praying down in these cliffs and there was this one cliff that as you worked yourself down, there was this rope that was kind of like, it was like tied in. There was this big like stake that had just been pounded into these dirt cliffs and there was a rope attached to it because surfers would use it to get down to the water so that they could work themselves down with the surfboard. And I would go down there sometimes and I'd I'd be there at night often and the waves would be crashing maybe 20 feet before me. And I would grab this, this rope behind me and I would just lean out over to the point that if that rope broke, I knew I was going to cascade down into those waves. And if you know me, I don't like cold water and the Pacific Ocean's quite cold. And so it would be a little intimidating. I would feel all of a sudden quite, quite aware of how much I trusted the integrity of that rope. But I would say, Lord, I want to lean on you like I'm leaning on this rope right now. I want to lean on you to such a degree that if you don't show up, I'm done. That if you, don't, if you don't show up, there is no plan B. I'm just done. I just fall. I'm just down. I just have nothing. Like I've given my power away to you to such, a, such lengths that I have no ability to maintain a sense of control anymore. God is longing to be plan A in our lives. As soon as we make him plan A, he shows up in glory. But he just really is jealous for first place. He doesn't like playing second fiddle. He doesn't like B, C, D, E, F, G. He wants to be A. And when God's A, there is no plan B. We see this all throughout scripture. Hey, Gideon, send more of the army away. Send more of the army away. Why? Because God's like, me. Hey, Moses, Lead Egypt, lead Israel to the ocean, to the Red Sea, so that you're trapped there, so that Egypt can pursue you and you're stuck. Why? Plan A. Hey, Jesus, feed these 5,000 people in the wilderness. Plan A. He, He just loves being plan A. That's what dependence means. He's plan A. And you burn the contingencies. You know, it's like, 
I don't really agree with any of the things that the Spanish conquistadors did, so don't quote me and think that I'm some sort of conquistador up here. But the one thing I did hear that I liked is that Cortez, when he showed up at the South American beaches, he looked at his men and said, burn the ships. Burn them. What was he doing? He was making himself plan A. That's why I don't like the conquistadors. But plan A, God's waiting for people to burn the ships. And God will actually attack anything in our life that becomes a plan B. He will. He will. I mean it. He doesn't like to be competed with. I actually believe that God, there'll be good competition in heaven. If you know me, I'm biased in saying that. But God is competitive. He likes to be free. He always wins. There's not much competition. But he likes first place. We can only lean on God to the degree that we trust his nature. This is important. You actually can't manufacture dependence. Dependence itself is a work of grace by the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Just like you can only lean on a rope to the degree that that rope has the ability or the integrity to hold me. We can only lean on God to the degree we trust the integrity of his nature, that he's really good. This is why the goodness of God is so, such a supreme revelation. Trust is heart language. Say heart. It's heart language. Trust is not intellectual assent. We can agree with Jesus' ideas around sex, money, care of the poor, worship, your involvement with the church. You can agree with the things that he says at an intellectual level, but still not trust him. Who's been there before? Who thought you trusted God before and then you realized you really didn't? When a heart begins to trust Jesus, a heart begins to lean into the way of Jesus. And then behavior will then flow from that desire. But trust is a work of grace. It's when a heart actually turns to where you desire the way of Jesus. Often things will start where we're not like that. And that's because of sin. Sin damaged our ability to trust. Our hearts have all, every single one of us have been formed by a broken world. We've actually been damaged by a sin-filled world and we've, we've actually learned to be distrusting. And distrusting hearts uh, like to rely on themselves. Because I can trust me. I don't know about anybody else, but I can trust me. Selfishness is simply the manifestation of a distrusting heart. Me, I'll lean on me. I'll make it about me. I'll take care of me. I don't have to trust anybody else. Not God, not people, me. So you can write this down if you're taking notes. Idolatry is the exchange of power for self-reliance. 
In other words, worshiping an idol, you have to give it your power. You forfeit your creative power, but idolatry will allow you to maintain a sense of control. So it's an exchange of your power for self-control, for, for, for control, not really. Self-reliance would be a better way of saying that. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. Independence is not. So mammon, money, this is what mammon says. It says, give money your time, give money your energy, give money your thought, give money your devotion, give money your creativity, multiply it, get more of it, and it will make you happy, fulfilled, and powerful. Who's heard that message before? Who battles with that message on a weekly basis? A lot of people in this country. That's the water that we swim in. That's what advertisement spends millions and millions of dollars trying to implicitly plant into your subconscious brain. So the, the fruit of that is that money controls your life, but you get to rely on yourself, which further fosters a selfish, sick, and distrusting heart. Okay, I'm going to trust that you guys are listening. Right, so idolatry, you exchange your creativity and power, which were made in the image of the creator, yes? God is the creator. He speaks and things start creating. And then he says, I'm going to put my image, I'm going to make creative beings like me that have the ability to create things because power manifests through creativity. Idolatry says, give me that creative power that makes you look like him and you can stay in control. Jesus flips the script. He says, worship me so that I can give you my creative power. Just forfeit your self-reliance and trust me. This is why there's a war for our worship. The question of our life isn't who we will worship or if we will, it's not if we will worship, it is who we will worship. We will worship something. And it all comes down to trust. Who do you put your trust in? And really, if you simply boil it down to the core, it's will you trust in yourself, self-reliance, independence, your own God. You make yourself your own God. That's what idolatry is. You know, the devil actually never gets worshipped through idolatry. He just gets our power. We're worshiping ourselves. I can be in charge. And Jesus says, but if you will depend on me, if you will learn to trust me, I will unleash the creative power of my love to you because I formed you and fashioned you with my own hands to fulfill you. To, to bring you to life, to, to, to fan into flame who you are. Come on, guys. I'm just trying to build a framework right now to make this point. The restoration of trust in our life is significant. It's really significant. Yes? So two things about restoring trust. I want you to, I want you to follow me here because this is important. I don't want to make you religious. 
I want, I want to lay a foundation that gives you understanding so how we can yield and lean into God and partner with him for the restoration of the trust in our hearts so that we can actually be leaning more six months from now than we are tonight. I want to just keep leaning more and more and more and more, yes? So restoring, the restoration of trust starts with God. We can't do it. We cannot do it. We are completely incapable. It is a spirit-initiated work. Say that word, spirit-initiated. It is spirit-initiated. We cannot force our hearts to trust anyone or anything. Our hearts have been damaged by sin more than we would even care to imagine. Our hearts were ruined by sin. So much so that it says God, be, we became enemies with God. Which if you think of enemies in the terms of trust, who do you trust the least? Your enemies. I don't trust you at all because I actually, I actually think that everything you do is to harm me. That's how twisted our hearts became by sin. This is the depravity of the human condition, is that we were so malformed that we viewed God, who is the most benevolent, generous, kind person we will ever meet, we viewed him as a threat to us. That's the deception of sin. That's the blindness. Our eyes were so sealed shut, we couldn't see goodness for goodness. We labeled good, evil, and evil good. This is the state that Jesus comes and saves us in. This is what we sang about tonight. This is why we worship him, because you saved me. You saved me. You stepped into my blindness, my deception, my perversion, my darkness, my brokenness, and you saved me. It was initiated by the Spirit. I get an amen from somebody. This is the grace of God. Romans 5, 7, and 8. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Enemies. Those who are honest with themselves will acknowledge that there are still places inside of our hearts that are hostile to God. Sometimes it takes the Spirit to even show it to us. Give this financial offering. Oh, no, no, no. That's a threat. A lot of people view tithing as a threat to financial security. No, it's actually a threat to self-reliance. A lot of people view, view God's vision of sex as a threat to a life of joy and pleasure. No. No, it's, it's a threat to living life your own way and saying, I know the way of the world. See, this is the sin-sick heart. We view God as hostile. But while we were in this place of hostility, Christ died for us. 
The good news is that Jesus died to bridge the chasm. He reached into the dark and unregenerated places of our hearts, and he actually formed a bond of love with us. He, he turned something in us. He brought something that was dead back to life by his spirit, and something wakes up inside of us and reaches out and cleaves to him. That's salvation. There's a miracle that happens. Something inside starts to love what you used to think was a threat. This was Paul, Saul on the road to, to, to Damascus. He's walking. He is literally persecuting Jesus because Jesus is a threat to his religious system and the power dynamics of his world and everything that he had given his whole life to. This way of Jesus was a threat. And in a moment, his heart turns, awakens, resurrects by grace and reaches out and clings to this Jesus. It's a work of the Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit. That's such good news. It's not about us. It's grace. It's grace. The experience of salvation is a miracle of the heart where we form a heart-to-heart -heart union with Jesus that saves us from endless captivity to a distrusting heart. Thank you, Jesus. But this is the truth. John said it. We didn't share notes tonight. What begins at salvation is designed to grow. Say grow. What begins at salvation is intended to grow. 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it may, you may grow in respect to salvation. So what begins at salvation is intended to grow, which means that we have a responsibility to cooperate. Say cooperate. We have to learn to cooperate with what starts at salvation. It's initiated by grace. It will continue to be initiated by grace. But when you're an infant, you have no responsibility but to open your mouth and suck. But then, as you start to grow, say, grow somebody, you have a little bit more responsibility. Can I hear an amen? You can't just open your mouth and wake up and say, put the bottle in my mouth, Lord. There comes a point where you don't get your diapers changed. There comes a point where you have to learn how to start becoming an adult. This is how we grow in grace. We have to cooperate with the ongoing initiatives of the Spirit. And this is the word. This is the big word, church. Obedience. Come on. Come on, somebody. Jesus became obedient to the point of death. Physical death. To the point of yielding himself to hands that he knew would hurt him. That's how deep that bond of trust was. To the point of saying, I will so depend on you that I won't be able to carry myself to my own crucifixion. I'm going to lean and trust that the Father will get his good will to work in and through me. Come on, that's a picture of trust. That's a picture of strength. That is a picture of power. I will be obedient to the point of death. 
This is a definition from obedient, of obedience. If you want to write it down, it's a good word. Obedience is the heart's cooperation with the ongoing initiatives of the Holy Spirit. And this is how that fortitude, the strength of that Christ-like trust is forged. Obedience. When I was 16 years old, when I was, when I was 16 years old, I, uh, I, I, I had a wrist issue. I was a, I was a, I was a golfer. I was, I was like a prodigy golfer kid. And I uh, had a wrist issue that would flare up at times. And I would have to take a lot of pain medication to be able to swing during a tournament so that I could finish the tournament. And sometimes I'd have to bow out, but it was the state tournament. And I was winning the state tournament. I had a huge flare up. So the last day of the tournament, I had to take a bunch of pain meds, like low grade pain meds, but it made me a little bit loopy because I probably took too much. I think it took like 14 Advil, like <laughs> bad idea, bad idea. Story gets worse. It was a bad idea, but I, I won. I won. I won the tournament that day. I should have won the tournament by one shot. I played well, but my mind was not sharp, and I signed the wrong scorecard that I won by two. If you know golf, that means I should have been disqualified. So I won the tournament, but I should have been disqualified. And my best friend was second place, so he should have been the state champion that year. And what did I do? I uh, was fleshly, and I justified it. Well, I actually won. It was an honest mistake, and I just shoved it under the rug, took this trophy, took the thing. You know, it's big. It's the biggest tournament of the year. And within the next year of my life, Jesus came and got a hold of my heart, and I fell in love with Jesus, and things started happening inside of me, and it was amazing. It was incredible. It was a painful time in my life, but it was glorious because my heart was learning to love Jesus, and about six months into this, one day, he met me as I was praying, and he said, you need to make it right with your friend. You need to repent for what you did. You need to confess your sin, and I was absolutely terrified. And for six months, I, I couldn't say yes because I was so afraid of what would happen to me if I actually confessed and obeyed in such a way. I'm going to lose my reputation. I'm going to lose my friendship. I'm going to lose this. I'm going to lose that. And it might be true. Sometimes obedience is costly. He doesn't say, yeah, be obedient and then it'll all be perfect. He just says obey. There's no bargaining with the lordship of Jesus. He's not looking for people to talk back and say, this is what I think about it. He's looking for people that will just obey. For six months, finally, after three months, I said, okay, I'll do it. And for the next three months, I said, but I don't have the courage, Lord. And I would pray. I'd say, God, just give me courage. Give me courage and prepare his heart. Give me courage and prepare his heart. Three months later, it was the last day of my senior year of high school. I graduated high school, and I said, I can't live with this turmoil anymore. I'm going to do it. So I text my friend. I drove to the golf course. They give you this big, nice bag with your name on it and state champion and all this stuff. And I just showed up to the parking lot. I wrote a note, and I just broke down sobbing. And I said, I cheated. I lied. I was a fraud. I took a coward's way out. This is yours. You're supposed to win. I stole this from you because I didn't have integrity. I repent. And I got in my car and I drove home and I sobbed. And this is just being honest with you. Part of me was sobbing out of love because I had opened to the light. I opened to the ongoing initiation of the Spirit and allowed the Spirit to do a deepening of the bond of trust. But part of me was also weeping bitter tears because my flesh, I was losing control of my life and I didn't like it. And there was a mixture in me. 
This is the state of the Christian. We get saved, we become justified and like Christ, but it's seed form. And then the Lord takes us on a journey of incarnating what took place at salvation. And this is where trust, this is where dependence, this is where weakness comes in. We just have to keep leaning, keep leaning, keep, keep obeying, keep opening to the ongoing initiation of the Holy Spirit. Obedience doesn't always feel good, but it creates good. And what it creates is it changes your heart so that your heart starts to trust him and become like him. Because once your heart trusts and open, you see him. And when you see him, you are transformed to become like him. This is the, the depth that was missing in the prosperity gospels. It became about give to the Lord so that the Lord can give something back to you. When the truth is this, the reason that we give generously when God asks us is so that we can behold him and become like him. The reward has to be Jesus. It's not about this life. Yes, God will bless us, but it's about the inner work that I am learning to trust you and be transformed to become like you. This is why we are called Christians, little anointed ones. The manifestation of Jesus across the nation should be seen through the vibrancy of the church. But this manifestation, this power will only flow through vessels that are weak and leaning and dependent that can honestly say, Lord, I have lost the ability to resist you. The whole orientation of my inner being leans into you and my behavior flows from that intimacy. That's weakness. That's dependence. That's trust. I have lost my no. I, I can't find it. She gone. Every time we obey God, we demonstrate that we have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We are actually joining Jesus in his kenosis, which is the word, that's the Greek word when it says he emptied himself. Say emptied. Though he was in the same equality as God, he emptied himself. Say it again, emptied. Every time we obey the Lord, we join him in this kenosis, this emptying of ourselves. And that is an act of worship. I believe that obedience is the most pure form of worship. Empty. And as we empty, that is the weakness that God is looking for. It is our job to join Jesus in the path of downward mobility. In, in the path of emptying, of the path of obedience. It's God's job to then release resurrection power that lifts up. And exalts. And God will lift up and exalt. He's, he is who he says he is. Our cooperation is to empty out unto death. His role is to release resurrection power. Amen? Amen. Second Corinthians gives another beautiful picture. I'm going to go a little bit longer. I'm not going to ask you if I can. I'm just going to do it. 
that, that the, the exceedingly great glory of God is housed in jars of what? Clay. God's glory housed in jars of clay. Same tension here. Power perfected in weakness. I want to break through a facade of misconception for a moment. And that is this. No matter how powerful the minister, they are a jar of clay and experience a profound sense of emotional weakness. And I would say from my experience of asking face-to-face conversations with powerfully anointed people, the more power you walk in, the more weakness you experience at a personal human level. There's a facade. There's a facade in the body of Christ that somehow we think that people who minister in the anointing feel really powerful all the time. And I think it's crippling the body of believers because we go out into the marketplace thinking we need to feel powerful to be used by the, in powerful ways. It's not true. It's glory in jars of clay. It's Paul's modern way of saying, it is the exceedingly great majesty of God through very ordinary, simple, mundane things. I'm so tired of hearing people devalue themselves and devalue their job and devalue their workplace because the environment's toxic and this and that. When I'm like, no, it's okay that you feel like it's just mundane because all God needs is a willing, obedient jar of clay that his glory can start manifesting through. But he can't do anything if we're static. He can't do anything if we're just waiting for the bottle to come to our mouth for a manifestation of power to show up somewhere. He's waiting for us to obey and empty unto weakness. Weakness. Who can be weak? We all can. I don't think God is waiting for more spiritual people that pray more prayers and fast more frequently. I think he's looking for people that will get more honest with themselves and have the courage to become aware of the true state of their being as poor in spirit and weak and needy and hungry. Because when we become aware of our weakness, we start to recognize our need for his power. I am preaching right now. There's two distinct states of the Christian. The spirit within us. The spirit upon us. Ephesians 1 gives language. It's Pauline theology. Just line after line after line. But he says that the spirit is given to us. He's he's given in us. He's regenerated and it's an endowment. It's a down payment of the spirit. When you become saved, every Christian is born again by the Spirit. And the Spirit is given to us. He lives inside of us. This is why we can say with true statement that Jesus lives inside of our heart. Because the Spirit of Jesus actually abides on the inside. This is the state of the Christian. The still small voice. The abiding peace, the joy, the empowerment for righteousness, the changing of desires. There are incredible effects of the spirit within us. It's our greatest companionship. But the spirit within us is different than the spirit upon us. The spirit upon us is speaking of the anointing of God, the oil that comes upon for the sake of empowerment. The spirit of God is within us for our sake. It's for the journey, the life, the relationship, the fellowship. It's it's to walk with God. But when the spirit comes upon someone, it's for the sake of who they're called to serve. 
The Spirit of God is upon me right now to give me revelatory anointing to bring words to you that aren't just words, but they're spirit so that they can get into you and bring transformation and open you to realities that you wouldn't see otherwise. He's on me right now. In three hours, it, usually the anointing will come off on Monday morning. Then I feel really normal again. I feel like I could fly right now. But Monday morning, I'm just back to jar of clay. But this is where the misconception comes in. We think that you need to feel powerful to be used powerful. No, what, what I'm trying to advocate is the anointing comes upon us for an assigned purpose. But this is usually the truth. is The anointing doesn't come on you until you partner in obedience. Oh, I feel like I'm supposed to go pray for my coworker. Feeling like a jar of clay right now. Give me the power and then I'll obey. God says, obey and I'll give you the power. That's how it works. That's what faith looks like. You don't get the provision and then step out. You step out into the provision. This is the way of the kingdom. You have to see the unseen and you walk by it. Abraham saw he was looking for a city that had foundations. This is, this is the life. This is the ongoing kenosis. The Lord is waking some of you up right now to the reality that you are called to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever you find yourself on this green earth. He is waking you up right now that there are divine appointments waiting, but you have to have eyes to see the opportunities. And as you obey and partner with the initiation of the Spirit, you will find that the Spirit comes upon you. I had a conversation recently with someone. They were saying, I feel kind of insecure meeting with you. I was meeting with them. It was like a one-on-one, -on -one, like a coffee meeting. And he said, I feel insecure meeting with you because, you know, you, I just feel like you're just, you know, you preached to 100,000 people and you saw 10,000 people here and you prayed this prayer. And I just was kind of feeling like, I was like, wow, you're being honest. But I was like, this is, this is weird to me. And I was like, stop, stop. I was like, I'm, I'm not powerful. I said, like, let me give you my understanding of this. I said, I, I left that night feeling emotionally weak, physically tired, and quite insecure. I said, I didn't feel powerful. I, I, was, I got to be, a, and for a moment, God came upon me for the sake of his will. And I praise God. God designs us to do things that bring joy to him and joy to us at the same time. You know, like, you ever wondered, why does God send Gabriel to give messages? God could give him himself. But he created Gabriel to be a messenger. So he's like, you do it. Like God, that's how God is. Why does he use us? Because he wants to. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. He wants to. He, he's a dad. He, like, looks for opportunities to give valuable things away. But this is the misconception is we get this whole thing of like the man of God who's anointed by the Spirit to do these things. You know what? I, I have to face my own weakness every time I minister. And in fact, seeing that many people get healed makes me more insecure in myself the next time I have to pray for healing. So I'm like, now I know what you can do and I feel like I can just get in the way. And every minister has ministered without the anointing. It's a terrible experience. You go home at night, you want to dig a 10-foot hole, bury it, and never see anybody again. I'm like, Lord, I want to move to the East Coast where none of these Idaho people will remember me because I feel so naked right now. I'm just trying to break a facade. We're all people. 
You know, Julian Adams, prophet, reading people's mail, tell them what they had for breakfast yesterday, ministers to billionaires all over the world. I was just with him the other day. We were ministering to 25 people. And I said, are you nervous? He said, I always get nervous. He said, I always get nervous. He's like, if God doesn't show up, I have nothing. Like, like we have this mindset that it's like these powerful people. No, no, we honor the anointing of God. It's transcendent. It's powerful. But we're all stinking people. This is why we read the scriptures. We're like, man, how did Samson do all that and then do all that? How did David do all that and then do all that? Because when the anointing comes on us, it's for other people. It's not a sign that God says your character's perfect. It's grace. Gifts of the Holy Spirit are not earned. They would be called achievements of the Holy Spirit if they were earned. They are gifts. Charis freely initiated by the benevolence of a father. You don't earn inheritance. You just receive it. All right. Help me land this plane. Holy Jesus. We're not in control of the Holy Spirit. We're simply learning to rely upon him. We are all Christians, which means we're all anointed. You don't have to feel powerful. Right, I'm gonna close with this. One of the prayers that's defined my life, I ran across it as a 17-year-old, was this prayer. God, humble me so that I know without you I'm nothing but dirt. I think that's the scariest prayer you can ever pray. I started praying that I would go out, I would put my face into the dirt physically and I'd pray that prayer. And the next years of my life were constant stripping. And it was about four or five years later, I was in a very low place just getting humbled by the Lord. And I just said, Lord, why? Why are you being so hard on me? And he said, you're the one who started praying this prayer, not me. And my eyes were open. I'm like, it's taken this long just to get here? I thought that was like a three-month prayer. I think that's a lifelong prayer. That without the Spirit of God constantly initiating, regenerating, bringing life to us, we're just earthy. From dust we came into dust we would return if it wasn't for the work of the Holy Spirit through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The more we become aware of our earthiness, of our profound need for God, the more we come to know his glory. Power is attracted to weakness. Glory is attracted to dirt to jars of dirt. I'm convinced, I'm convinced we don't need to become more spiritual. We need to become more honest. 
more aware of our need, more willing to treasure and covet humility, more obedient in our hearts. God is not looking for special people. He's looking for willing people. We all hear it. We all say amen. But when the rubber hits the road, what the willingness is, is obedience. Will you obey the Lord? Will you say yes to him? I was 17 years old. I was a prodigy athlete. I didn't do the outside sins. My sins were inside sins. So I didn't think that I was a sinner. And one day the Holy Spirit landed on me and I had no grid for anything like this. My mom was praying for me. That's why it happened. It wasn't because of me. It was grace, grace upon grace. The Holy Spirit landed on me and I saw, I saw my life and it was just, I don't know how to say it other than it was so selfish and it was so empty. And in that moment, I started screaming gutturally from a deep place inside, God, save me from this life. And I knew, I knew my golf dream was in that. I knew that like everything, I, like it was, it was the path that I was on and I didn't see any other path. I just saw this empty road that was all about me. And I cried from the deepest place inside me, please don't let me live that life. Please, please save me, God. And I effectively look back that on, as, as the day I went and we had a prayer chapel in my home. I wrote on the top of it so that I thought my mom's short, she wouldn't be able to see it. So I didn't want my mom to see it because I was too vulnerable at this point, but I wrote it where I didn't think she could see it. Jesus, I surrender my life to you today. And the answer is yes. Like I, I didn't have words for it, but I just was trying to articulate what happened inside of me is I am going to the utmost of my ability, say yes to you every single time you ask me something new. I'm gonna sign my name on a blank contract and say, here it is, Lord. Whatever the answer is, whatever the ask is, it's yes. It's yes, God. It's yes, God. Yes, God. Yes. I'm going to keep saying yes until I lose the ability to say no. And I can look to you all. I'm, I'm going to close and right now. But if, if people ask me sometimes, how, how have you done what you've done? And I don't have an answer for it, but they're asking you, are you living this life and you're seeing these things? I have no idea. I still have no idea how so many of the things in my life have happened, but I can tell you this. I have been a yes man. I have given him every yes I've known how to give, and I'm going to keep giving it to him. And that is the aim of my life, that the day I breathe my last breath, I can look back and say, Lord, I gave you everything I knew how to give. I didn't make it happen. I couldn't initiate it. I didn't write the plan. I didn't speak the promises. I didn't make up the story. You did. But I'm going to give you a yes. I'm going to live a life well lived. And the cost of that yes is weakness and dependence. That's it. That's all he's looking for. That's all he's looking for. So Lord, I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, I sense you in the room tonight and I sense you in awakening a cry, a groan inside your people. Lord, a heart cry that truly desires humility tonight. I, I, I sense that there is a turning inside of some hearts that it's like you're, I want this. 
I want my heart to become trusting and it's not. And I sense that there's a turning and I sense that there's an act of obedience for some, for you to actually maybe come forward and humble yourself before the Lord, to, to go low, to put your, your face even in the dirt. It's carpet, but it's dirt. And I just sense the Lord... It's like he's, he's wooing. It's like there's something shifting in hearts. And I just want to invite, invite you, invite some of us to, to pray that prayer tonight. Humble me. Humble me. So that I know without you I'm nothing but dirt. Lord, remove the resistance in me. Some of you, it's in areas, you know it's in areas. It may be in, 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 in the area of, of sexuality. It may be in the area of finances. I really feel this on finances, that there's, there's some of you, there's been wrestling. You've been wrestling with God over his vision, with Jesus over his vision for, for finances. And there's a turning in your heart tonight that's like, I want to lose. Like, I want to lose to you. It's like there's a changing of desire. It's like when Jacob wrestled with God, something changed in his nature. And I just, I sense that there is a holy stirring right now by the Spirit of God in some of you. And I just want to invite you. I want to invite you to just to yield to the Holy Spirit. I sense that the Holy Spirit is, he is, he is actually for some, he's, uh, you're trying to push it down, but it's like he's bringing uh, a fresh prompt to an old question he asked. It's like an old act of obedience, something that he's called you to, that you've resisted. He, he's calling some to fresh repentance and you've resisted. He's calling like the, the Holy Spirit. It's almost like it says that we shouldn't quench the Holy Spirit or grieve the Holy Spirit. We shouldn't push him down because when we do, his voice gets quiet. But I feel that there's actually a reversing of that. And the Holy Spirit is wanting to reactivate a fresh relationship with conviction. But there's a yielding. There's a yielding. And I feel that the Holy Spirit's asking a question to some of you tonight. Like, like you're, you, aren't, you aren't willing, but he's saying, are you willing to make yourself, to let me make you willing? Are you willing to let me make you willing? And if you are, I just, I want to invite you to just to humble yourselves, to come forward. And it's probably going to feel really uncomfortable because when you feel a lot of resistance internally, it's because there's something taking place at a spiritual level. And I just, I just want to implore you that if the spirit is calling, just come, come, yield. Let him change your heart tonight. Let him change your heart tonight. Let him change your heart tonight. I, I have a sense that there's, there's someone in here that the Lord has been, he's been, uh, there's been like this, this thought that's come multiple times. It's in the area of finances. It's a financial sacrifice that has felt way too big for you. And you kept, you've pushed it down. You've pushed it down. You've pushed it down. Um, because it's costly. It's going to require like change in your life. And I just, I sense that the Holy Spirit is just wanting you to know it's me. It's me and you can trust me. 
It's me and you can trust me. I have a sense you're a young man. You're in here. You've been in a relationship with a young woman that's crossed boundaries. You've known it shouldn't cross and you've had a deep conviction and there's just been a wrestling inside. And I feel that the Lord's saying, just come son and humble yourself and open, just open this place before me. Let me change your desires. Let me change your desires. I also feel like there's, uh, there's a, a woman in here. You've been in a relationship that you've been fighting. I see you with white knuckle fist trying to hang on to it. And the Lord's saying, well, are you willing to let go tonight? Are you willing to let go and trust me and let me have control? Let me have control of the narrative of your life, the narrative around the disappointment that you've stewarded, I really feel like there's a healing moment between you and the Father tonight that, that as, you, as you lay something on the altar, as you lay this relationship on the altar, I feel like you've been trying to, but you haven't quite been able to. There's grace right now to actually lay this on the altar and the Father is gonna come and father your heart. I see it. Maybe we can dim the lights a little. I don't want people's eyes gazing, you know, around. This is, these are, these are tender moments. I'm going to keep calling out these words of knowledge because I really sense that the Lord is having, this is like father, son, and father, daughter moments. And he's, he's doing it like trust is heart language. He's working. He's working on the heart. He's working on the heart. He's working on the heart. Yeah, I just sense there's someone here, it's in the area, there's just been so much pain in the area of your vocation. You have felt like a failure. You have felt like your dad hasn't, hasn't affirmed you. He doesn't understand you. You've gone from thing to thing to thing. You're searching for identity. You just haven't been able to find it and you just feel like crying. And the Lord just says, come to me, come to me, come to me, son, just come to me. Come to me, come to me, son, come to me, daughter. Come to me, daughter. Just be honest, just open this place, open this place. Let me hold you, let me love you. There's a woman here, I feel like you're probably maybe late 20s, early 30s. I feel like you've, you've said this as part of your story. My dad never told me I was beautiful. And you've, you've said that, you say that to people often. And I just, I sense the heart of the father. It's almost like, it's like the injustice. He's like, that's not right. That's not true. That's not what I say. You need to hear what I say, what I say, what I say. And I just sense that, that there's a there's a moment, there's a there's a holy moment. And I feel like this this wound is is almost manifested in looking looking for love in some of the wrong places and 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 it's just been you felt like it's just unfair. And I just sense the Lord, there's just something happening in with you before the Lord tonight. Like there's an opening of your heart to the Father. And He just wants to He just wants to lavish his affection upon you. He wants, he wants to meet you and tell you the truth of what he sees, what he thinks. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Lord. Now the Lord's ministering in the place of weakness, which is what our society trains us to hide from the world and to hide from ourselves, which means we then hide it to God. And I just, I just, it's like I sense the Holy Spirit just calling out. He's saying, He's saying, come out of hiding. Come out of hiding. Come out of hiding tonight. And let it just start with him. Come out of hiding. Embrace your weakness. I just, I sense the Lord wants, there's someone in here, you're, you're trying to, intellectually figured out right now and the Lord says I don't want to fix you I want to love you the Lord is not concerned with your weakness he, 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 uh, he does not see your weakness as an impediment to his love and his purposes and, and his desires being accomplished in your life he actually just wants to love you Open up and let the light in. Open up and let the light in. Let the Father's love just flood in. That He can hold you right where you're at. I thank you, God, that you're you're touching hearts. And I see a picture where if they were to graft a wild branch into a native olive tree, they would have to wound the branch and they'd also have to wound the tree and it's the place of wounding where the connection grows where the union is realized and this these places of weakness that we hide these vulnerabilities and 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 shortcomings and insecurities it's it's the very place where we, we can make union with God, where the trust will be fostered. And so I just thank you for our grafting of hearts tonight, Lord. I just bless what you're doing, Father. I bless you to graft hearts to you tonight. Graft tender, weak, dependent branches. Graft us into the vine of Jesus tonight. Lord, I ask for a release of healing love that by your spirit, you will reform what has been deformed by sin and shame. Let transformation flow, God. Thank you, Jesus. there's a man in here. I don't know how old you are. I have a sense it might be multiple men, but there's an insecurity around like your hair, almost like, like balding. And I'm not being silly at all. Like I just feel like the heart of God 
wants to tell you who you are and what he thinks of you. And in the sense you make, you, you make fun of yourself, you use humor to shield some of the pain. But I sense even the Lord's like, there's, this is a, it's, it's, an, it's an avenue, there's an opening here. This is a, a tender place where the Father is wanting to just cleave to you. a sweet presence here. I don't, I don't want it to end. So I'm just going to wait on the Lord and I'm just, you know, we're just going to wait and let the Lord move. I'm going to keep listening. And if you need to leave, you can go home. But if you want to stay, we'll just stay in the Father's arms. trust, Lord. You're growing trust. You're growing trust. I thank you. There's like a tenderness of the Father right now, but there's also it's like the firmness of the Father that even in this tender love, he's, He's convicting. He's convicting some of us. And there's acts of obedience that he's convicting, he's convicting, he's speaking acts of obedience that need your participation. So author a yes in our heart, Holy Spirit. Author a yes in our heart, Holy Spirit. Author a yes in our hearts, Holy Spirit. If you're wrestling with the Lord, just put your hand on your heart and say, author a yes in me, Holy Spirit. Do in me what I can't do for myself. Change my heart to trust Jesus. Author a yes in my heart, Holy Spirit. Do it, Lord. Strengthen, strengthen that trust. Strengthen our ability to to lean. Lord, we want to lean. We want to lean more. We want to make you plan A. Lord, may all the contingencies just drift away tonight. May they fade away tonight. May they fade far, far away as we experience the real thing. It's you. You're plan A. You're the life we want. You're the path we choose. You're the voice we choose to trust. You're the one we follow. We choose weakness. We choose dependence. We choose to yield. We choose, God, we choose. We open up to the light. We open up to the Holy Spirit. And we say, do what only you can do. 
May you continue tonight what you began in salvation. May your grace keep...